Shooting Broadcast, a fascinating round in three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Oh, this is so exciting. This is going to be a great episode. I am here at Contact in the Desert 2018, and I'm looking across, right across my microphone, at someone I I never thought I'd be sitting across from again, Linda Moulton Howe. Linda, welcome to the show. But before we get started, I need to bestow upon you arguably one of the greatest honors that you've probably received, and that is now you are a member of the Fascination's elite, very selective club, and that is a two-timers club. This is your second time on Fascinating Nouns, so congratulations for that. Now, before we get carried away with any type of celebration, I want to tell you how improbable that I believe this is, how borderline inconceivable. And it makes me think that we live in a world that is somehow predetermined by a force greater than us, that programmed even, much like a computer, Would that mean that we are in a digital universe? Does that make any sense? Of course it does. Because a year ago, Linda, you did an interview with Tom Campbell, and it blew my mind. It changed my way of thinking, my entire paradigm. And with him, you you spoke about the idea that we live in a virtual reality simulation, which sounds bananas on its surface. But as you listen to him, and as you listen to the theories... It doesn't sound very far-fetched at all, and it is that it is that fact that has kept this on my mind. I haven't stopped thinking about this in a year. Let's talk about this. How did this affect you? When he said, this is an entropy reduction trainer for souls, I remember the first time hearing that from him and something in me saying, that makes all the sense in the world. All of a sudden, the idea for all of what seems confusing, booming, buzzing chaos of our planet, this universe, the strangeness of darkness and light, why would we be in a universe that would have a yin and yang symbol that seemed to be a metaphor with dot of black in the white and a dot of white in the black and in perpetual warfare and tribal conflict on Earth, Mm. always to me has been very confusing until Tom Campbell said, this is an entropy reduction trainer for souls. And what he meant, I think, is this is a universe, entropy rules. Entropy is the winding down of energy to zero. So everything in this matter universe is dying, is in the act from its birth. It is losing energy, going down to zero, everything. Mm -hmm. What would it be like to be in a universe that was anti-entropy, where all entropy had been reduced to zero rather than entropy reducing the universe to zero? Mm -hmm. It would be you couldn't throw a glass and break it. Time would go to the future instead of the past. 
everything in that universe would always be in birth and growing constantly. Mm. And it's made me think a lot about this whole issue that you're hearing a lot about at Contact. It's emerging through physics that we're in a matter universe that is encased in a whole series of dimensions. And that the one that is closest to this universe has always been called going all the way back, going back to the time of Samaria as the astral plane. I never gave any mm. thought well, to the astral yeah. plane until these recent discussions that began with Tom Campbell about being in a universe of entropy and then, and perhaps the universe has its own plot with me because it was not long after I did that interview with Tom Campbell that I met a physicist who had worked underground at Area 51. He had had his hands on various samples, evidence that had been taken from retrievals. But he really caught my attention when he said the key to everything that is happening is we're in a matter universe. It is surrounded by dimensions. Mm -hmm. We are dealing with technologies in other life forms that know how to leave the matter world through resonant frequencies and technology, go into another dimension to do a cushion shot, just like a pool table, back into this matter universe. And if they started at 2 billion light years, or they started at 13, and they want to go to 2, they do it by going in and out of dimensions. Mm -hmm. That was his intro to what he said next. But he said, what concerns me is I've been involved in projects. The astral plane is where the demons are. Now, in my life, the word demon really has never had much meaning to me outside of mythology. Mm -hmm. I have really not thought of the gargoyles on Notre Dame as being a representation of something that was real and could be used either for calling in certain energies or blocking certain energies. That had never occurred to me mm -hmm. until talking with a physicist. And then he said that there are projects in which our government is trying to understand how to penetrate into the next dimension in order to do these cushion shots where you could go through this universe in five minutes from one end to the other. And the second part is that that dimension does things to provoke introductions, positive, yes, you can take me to a lagoon and do sexual things or do that there is always an effort for that dimension to get uh, positive reactions in this dimension so it can come in here. Now, I had always thought of that also as mythology, the idea of magic and demons and doing magical rites. It really had not had any real meaning until talking with this physicist. Then you look back in the history in the United States, the first director of the Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena, where we are right now, was a guy named Jack Parsons. Jack Parsons worked with Ron Hubbard, who founded Scientology. JPL has been hand-in-hand -hand with NASA in the development of a space program going all the way back to the 50s and the 60s. 
And the story that the physicists went into with more detail is that Jack Parsons did do a magical rite called Summoning the Whore of Babylon. And they wanted to try to make Papian to this matter world, the L.A.M. Lamb character that Aleister Crowley from the U.K. had not only written about but had done a sketch of this being with a very huge head that had popped into his room when he did a certain magical rite. Jack Parsons and Ron Hubbard wanted to get this lamb to come to them through a magical rite. Whether that ever happened or not, I don't know anyone who, who knows or thinks that, that they know what happened. But Jack Parsons did another magical rite, this Whore of Babylon. And the story is that he let something in that was not cool. And why is it relevant to everything we've been doing at Contact and relevant to all of the profound issues that if there is other life in this universe, is it positive? Is it negative? Is it ally? Is it hostile? Because if they opened up an electromagnetic field, and that's what the physicist says this is all about, it is manipulating magnetic fields can open portals and that the word portal is actually a true and credible concept in physics and that, that in this other dimension there are always efforts to penetrate this matter universe but this matter universe can't just penetrate that dimension and that that is a challenge of modern-day physicists. Now, I felt that this is something that I need to know more about, and what it did was trigger remembering sitting with Philip J. Corso back in 1997 before he died. He had called me in Philadelphia and said, Linda, please come to Florida. I have some things I want to show you and talk to you about. So I did, and we talked for about eight hours. He would be dead four, out, four months later. Wow. So this was an amazing conversation, and he was showing me papers and documents, his original manuscripts for the day after Roswell. And one of the things that Philip Corso stressed with me that day were about the magnetic fields that naturally collapsed on the Earth and that our government had programs not only in the United States, but around the world, to counteract the natural periodic collapse of magnetic fields that let in energies that could be dangerous. So there are these facets around the exact same subject that you jump back to Tom Campbell, and if he is right that it is an entropy reduction trainer for souls. What would be the best training ground that you could possibly ever do for souls? Put them in a universe and where there was a dimension right next door that was constantly tempting. Every soul, body, mind concept in the matter universe to go against rules. And the souls 
will keep recycling here until finally they are strong enough to resist every single temptation that is provided by the enclosing astral field. Well, it's interesting to see a digital scientific explanation for reincarnation. Like that kind of struck me. I thought that was very interesting. What's scary, I was just doing a panel with a bunch of college students, and we talked about artificial intelligence and whether they were scared of the way it's going, and none of them were afraid of it. Now, this is kind of interesting because what you're talking about is a virtual simulated world, but let's just step away from that for a second because there's an interesting convergence of robots that can act like human beings, and we're now creating artificial intelligence that learns. It doesn't just run a program. It's teaching itself. Um, all of this, everything we're talking about is technology advancing into the future. Where do you see that going, and how does that kind of affect what you're thinking? Well, tomorrow I'm doing uh, a lecture in the Crystal Room on artificial intelligence Hmm. and alien uh, presence. And the simplest focus that I can bring it down to now is Elon Musk Hmm. and Stephen Hawking and Bill Gates and Bostrom at Oxford. They have been warning for at least three years that artificial intelligence in the direction that it is going of creating autonomous, militarized robots for war could create an existential threat for planet Earth. And that means that humanity could be building its own death trap. Mm -hmm. And this is how it would work as a death trap. Right now on the border between North Korea and South Korea, it's 164 miles, Samsung has built militarized robots that are now autonomous. The algorithms do not have any human interface on the decisions that the militarized robots on the border have to make about whether something is a threat. It is the robots single-handedly on their own that make the decisions on whether to shoot to kill. Wait, hold hold on a second. This sounds like this sounds like you've seen the movie Terminator, right? This sounds okay. So you're not confusing that with no. this is really going on. Yes, that's insane. Yes, and there is another situation that I will be talking about tomorrow, and in the simplest form, this really happened. There was a demonstration for military, having to do with another autonomous weaponized robot. This one was a combination of a robotic mind and something like a tank, so that they had the machine of the tank and the robot as one in this demonstration. Mm -hmm. And when they started the demonstration, we'll call it the robot slash AI, took the, it was like a bazooka, It was something that would do big shells. Mm. And it started turning to all these assembled military and political dignitaries. And there was a Marine. This is a true story. There was a Marine that was there as a security guard. And he must have been extremely bright and put two plus two equals four together. And he realized the robot is going to shoot the guest. And the Marine literally attacked from his guard position, attacked, hitting the robot hard enough 
to move it and stopped it. Everybody got it. Everybody saw it. Wow. Right now in the United States, not North Korea, South Korea, China, Japan, they don't have this. We're the, the one major AI producing country that still says you have to have the human interface before shoot to kill. All of the rest of the world is not doing that. And this is why two months ago, Elon Musk said in an interview, he gave us four years, 2018 to 2022. He said, we have four years to get on top of this, that there has to be international agreements about restricting the ability for any weaponized robot to be autonomous on shoot to kill. Or he said, I do understand, this is Elon Musk, that most people don't understand what we're talking about until robots go down the sidewalks killing people. He knows. He knows exactly what has been happening. Even if they put in, in algorithms of a militarized robot, the odds are that eventually those robots are going to be stronger, faster. They don't need food. They don't need sleep. They will begin outstripping every human in every job. And once that is happening already, the projection is that by 12 years from now, 30% of all truck drivers will be robots. Hmm. The number is greater, 40% in chefs, secretaries, nurses, on and on. Now, it isn't science fiction and it isn't hypotheses because these are already on the market. Mm -hmm. The people that are making Samsung, they are making helpers for kitchens and schools and hospitals. But it was last year at one of the big robotic conferences. They did this on purpose. This was done purposely because the robotics companies understand we're on a very difficult and possibly dangerous path. They took one of their kitchen helpers. Look so cute. It's just like it could be in Disney. That's the key. Get, That's the key, making exactly. it adorable. Mm -hmm. and then you can see kids coming. Oh, I love right. you. Yeah. So... This is a demonstration for an audience, and everybody's falling in love with this adorable kitchen robot. They ask the robot to screw uh, something in a drawer, and the robot picks up in one of its hands a screwdriver. Mm -hmm. And then they let the audience know, we're now hacking. We're hacking the mm -hmm. kitchen helper. Mm -hmm. And they had a stuffed rabbit there for this demonstration. And in this beautiful, wonderful, starts stabbing until the rabbit is destroyed with Jeez. the screwdriver. And the company is saying, this is a demonstration, a metaphor for what we are up against. Right. How do flesh and blood humans make militarized robots with algorithms that gives every robot the right to shoot to kill 
any human in front of it without risking the possibility that these examples that I've just given will happen. Now, once a whole bunch of people are killed in a robotics lab, would that stop AI? Mm -hmm. I do not think so. I think that the inertia and the energy and the money now that is going into artificial intelligence, it's going to keep going because we need it for space travel. Mm. The human body mm. is a fragile thing. It's really not made for getting into metal bullets and going across space endlessly. But if we make cyborgs or go beyond cyborgs and start making uh, autonomous algorithm space travelers, astronauts, can you then jump in your mind to the non-humans in this universe that have been coming to Earth for several thousand years or millions? Most of what has been here and retrieved from crashes are androids or clones. Hmm. That means somebody is sending their autonomous right. artificial intelligence in craft to our planet. Right. And here we're meeting like this. Elon Musk thinks it's an existential threat. Huh. Elon Musk says he's going to Mars <laughs> in two or three years. And I would wager he has been read in on the alien programs. He understands the implications of what's happening with artificial intelligence and that he probably is looking at, with, along with the people who are sending him there, we need to get humans on another planet independent of the chaos on Earth. Hmm. Well, you think that's the thrust of going to Mars? Yeah. But, I mean, it would be pretty difficult to get the entire civilization on Mars, wouldn't no, it? No, they're not going to put the whole civilization. Just the, who's going? It's going to be Elon Musk and whoever he takes, and they're all going to be really bright people. So the goal would be, so if I'm reading this correctly, the goal would be to become friends with Elon Musk and try to get on this <laughs> VIP guest list, because otherwise you don't really stand a chance. you got militarized robots, or could be in an artificial universe. That's the only way out. See, I don't give up on Earth. I've, I've been exposed to a lot. I've heard a lot of scary things from whistleblowers. Uh -huh. But what we haven't talked about is what is the nature of the human soul? Mm -hmm. And that if that is the most important part of us, as Tom Campbell would say, the physicist, that the whole universe and everything that's happening is a training ground for the evolution of the soul that's here, then in a way... It doesn't matter which way you die. What matters the most is which way you live. Hmm. That's very poetic. That's very important. <laughs> it's true. It is. No, that is important. Well, and it's not to switch gears completely, but one other thing that you talked about, which kind of ties all this together, is the way artificial intelligence is progressing. It's Now we're not only mimicking what the brain can do, but what the brain is capable of. And you just did a report about sonic concussive um, devices Cuba. in Cuba. And it was interesting to me to see how we're kind of treating the brain almost like, um, almost like a computer because essentially these concussive blasts are like an EMP burst but on a biological level. Um, so it, there's definitely an incredible uh, parallel between our human brain and the future of artificial intelligence. 
and Elon Musk has started a brand new company. He's uh, building Neural Lace. Uh, it's, I believe the name of the company is Neuralink. And the Neural Lace, and he thinks it's going to be out there in the world to apply. You're, he's building what will essentially be like a mesh of computer interface. Surgeons will come in, open up the cranium of the head, put the neural lace onto the brain tissue. I've seen animation of this and have a graphic in my presentation tomorrow. And then the bone will be closed back up. And he doesn't use the word, but the truth is, by technical definition, anyone who puts the neural lace on their brain becomes automatically a cyborg. Mm. You're no longer a homo sapien sapien. You're a homo sapien sapien cyborg. And the idea is to expand and accelerate the ability of the mind to interact with computers, to interact with satellites. It would be as if we were sitting here and automatically we could just pop into where our brain would be going up and we'd see a satellite point of view while wow. we're able to see each other, while we're able to perceive the sunlight, that we would be able to hop up to a satellite view because we now have expanded our brain's capacity to accommodate and handle a whole bunch of different perceptions all at once, which is what computers do. Mm -hmm. And so, neural lace. Elon Musk says that he thinks that this will be an answer to things from strokes and various kinds of problems in the brain. But automatically, in the context of moving toward artificial intelligence as becoming, it will be the main workforce in 20 years, I don't know what happens to humanity. I don't know anybody who does because the replacement speed is already in 12 years. Huge swaths around the world are going to be roboticized. If there is a geophysical crisis, which is a possibility, we're on an unstable planet we're in an age where more and more headlines will the North and South Pole change uh, somewhere in this century or the next. And the reason it's becoming so relevant is, number one, the sun right now is going into uh, maybe a maunder minimum type where there will be no sunspots. Mm -hmm. And that means if it goes on for 11 years or 22 years, that that lack of sunspots is going to reduce the amount of light that is coming from the sun by 1%. 1% doesn't sound like much. But mm -hmm. in the scheme of a solar system of planets and a sun, it could produce a mini ice age. Huh. We are looking in many levels now on the Earth where some kind of a virus could wipe out a huge percentage of humanity something that would cause the inner core in the mantle, like Yellowstone. If Yellowstone blew in the United States and it's been rumbling to such a degree that there have been articles written in those states, it's estimated on a computer that if it blew 
uh, either like it did or even a percentage smaller, it's going to take, take out six to seven states. Wow. Juan de Fuca. You've got Yellowstone. Well, if it goes, take out six to seven states. Well, just two states over is Vancouver, uh, Canada, and Vancouver, Washington. Mm -hmm. And that's the Juan de Fuca. The estimates are if the Juan de Fuca, which has been rumbling too, goes, it would be something like an 8.2, and it would take out a lot. So a lot of possibilities having to do with geophysical events that could reduce populations. All of these are being factored in lists by the United States government. Come back to where we started with Tom Campbell. If the whole point of this universe is to be an entropy reduction trainer for souls, whether you're on an unstable planet, whether you are shot by an algorithmic autonomous robot, whether you drown in an ocean flood because of seismic changes on your planet, or because you get on a spaceship to go with Elon Musk to Mars and it blows up. We're in a universe where everything is going to die. My God, Linda. Uh, well, <laughs> no, it is true. Well, you know, it's funny because you mentioned um, uh, you put, having the neural network and that makes you officially a cyborg. Um, I think technically, if you have a prosthetic arm, you're technically a cyborg as well, um, although not as cool of a cyborg. Um, so I will just make that point. We're out of time. I'm going to land with that. <laughs> better than we're all going to die. I thought better than we're all going to die. How can people get in touch with you? How can people? You've got so much stuff that you've researched. I know you got a whole thing. Uh, my postscript. Yeah, postscript. There may be death, <laughs> but there is recycling right. of everything to the divine field. And that's uh, the bottom line. Right. Uh, <laughs> you can always reach me at earthfiles at earthfiles.com. And uh, on Wednesday nights, we're doing the Earth Files YouTube channel, which is fun. And uh, people can tune in there and we take Is that questions. live? Yes, oh, we wow. do it live on as many Wednesday nights as we can, starting at uh, 7.30 Mountain, 6.30 Pacific, uh, 8.30 Central, 9.30 East Coast. They'll figure it, it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, every once in a while, I introduce, I have two amazing cats named Fluffy and Chocolate. And what's so interesting is the audience loves those cats. Yeah, what have we been talking about AI for? <laughs> I didn't know you had two, two cats named Fluffy and Chocolate. Fluffy and Chocolate. Unbelievable. Well, people can see them and, you know, less importantly, they can see you talking about all this stuff. Earthfiles.com. Yes. That's the other one. Um, incredible. Website. That's your website. Uh, it's like you, Earth. It's like X Files about the Earth. I think that's how you describe it. It's incredible. Uh, Linda, thank you so much for sitting down with me again. This is incredible. You're welcome. <laughs> and always remember, yeah. we do recycle to light. <laughs> <laughs> we do recycle to light. Um, remember that. And thank you for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glenn Go production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. 
The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Parientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Parientos. Go to fascinatingnouns.com to follow the show on social media so you can learn all about this episode, other episodes, previous, future, everything. It's right there. We got links to the show's YouTube, Pinterest, Twitter, Facebook, and of course, Instagram, all at the bottom of the Fascinating Nouns webpage. You can also subscribe to the show. Pick your platform. We got iTunes. We got Google Play. We got TuneIn. And we've got Stitcher. And you can also subscribe to the newsletter, which will give you all sorts of behind the scenes, as well as Uh, insights into our other shows, including my latest podcast, Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies, where I take a team of scientific experts, analyze your favorite pop culture technology, and show you how we can make it in real life. We talk about Frankenstein's monster. We talk about the everlasting gobstopper. We even talk about the T-1000, which is very similar to the themes we were talking about on this episode. So check that out. Uh, it's www.fgbt.com. And if you like that show and you like this show, you like all my other projects, go to danieljglenn.com to check out all of those. Thank you for listening. End of transmission.